HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Sam Edwards. I'm third generation cure master from S. Wallace Edwards and Sons in Surrey, Virginia. We support the Heritage Radio Network because we believe in the cause and what they're doing. They're supporting family-raised livestock, small family farms, uh, certified humane, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Basically, we take the products from Heritage Foods USA and make them into uh, Serrano-style hams, prosciutto-style hams, bacon, sausage, like my grandfather did. You can find us at Surrey Farms. Dot com or virginiatraditions.com. All right, it is Thursday at one o'clock and you are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network listening to The Farm Report coming to you live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn on this beautiful sunny day. We are on the line with David Campbell of Maple End Farm. David, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Awesome. So nice to have you on the line. Um, now you are up in Washington County in Salem, New York. What's the weather looking like on your end of the line? It's sunny and warm here for oh, this time of year. Good, good, good. So, uh, Maple End Farms, you are a maple syrup farmer. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I think, you know, generally when people think maple syrup, they don't necessarily equate that with, with farming. So, how, how, how do you qualify exactly as a farmer? Um, I would say because it's a farm product, a food product. We actually harvest it from the trees in our woods instead of out in the open fields, but it's uh, actually one of the first farm products of the year. Excellent. So you are just wrapping up your the kind of the part of your year where you're actually harvesting the maple syrup. Can you tell us when you guys started um, actually seeing some sap come out of the trees? This year, well, there was a, just a little bit of sap that came out couple days in February, but the first major sap flow started the first week of March this year. And is that typical, or has this year been a little different? It's typical, fairly typical. We usually expect first sap flow around the first of March in our area. Depends, of course, on your area of the country, what time of year it does start flowing. And so maple syrup comes from maple trees, um... Maybe that's obvious to people, <laughs> but uh, the 
Are, can you find it anywhere in the world, or is it specific to certain parts of the, the country or, or the globe? The production is basically located in this part of the globe, in the northeastern part of the U.S., the southeastern part of Canada. And but it is shipped worldwide from this area. Oh, really? So how does how does New York stack up against? I know you know you think maple syrup, you think of New York, you think of Vermont. Um, how much maple syrup are we producing? Are we the? I mean, is New York State up there as one of the larger producers or? New York and Maine are usually ranked either second or third as far as production in this country. Um, most years, Vermont is the largest producer in this country and then new york typically makes around four hundred thousand gallons of syrup a year and the biggest producer of maple syrup is up in quebec in canada they produce probably about 75 percent of the world's supply of syrup oh wow and is that just because there are more maple trees in canada i mean are we at capacity in new york state with what we could be harvesting we're way under capacity of what we could harvest in New York State. We could probably actually produce more in New York State than they are producing in Quebec. We have more maple trees, but they are utilizing about 30% of their maple trees, where in New York there's only about 1% of the maple trees being utilized for syrup making. So what's our problem? Uh, <laughs> Is that a bigger conversation? <laughs> <laughs> um. Years ago, they had some subsidies in Canada that encouraged producers to get into the business, and so that is what brought them to that level of tapping, and it is currently a lot of expansion going on. It's one of the farm commodities where producers are seeing a reasonable return on their investment for other labor and equipment uh, it takes to produce syrup so there's more and more people getting into it and the demand is growing every year and worldwide demand okay so let's talk a little bit about that infrastructure i mean you know let's say i'm me in brooklyn i decide i want to be a maple farmer you know i can't just show up and you know plant a tree and wait for it to grow what (laughs) What what's the kind of what are some of the barriers to entry or or why is it I mean what what do people what do you need to 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 harvest maple syrup? Well, first thing you need are the trees. It takes forty or so years to grow a tree to tappable size, so we're relying on the trees that are already out in the forest, and so that's where you got to start is with the trees, uh, either owning them or we lease about three-quarters of the trees we utilize from other landowners. So give them a return on owning the trees and so on. And is that a pretty typical model for people? So you guys, I mean, this is like your main business, you and, and your brother. Right. Um, so, so you're able to support two, is it two, two families, right, year-round right. producing maple syrup? Yep, that's right. Okay. And so... So once you have the trees, then you need the equipment to do it with. A sugar house to cook the syrup down in, the evaporator, reverse osmosis, uh, complex tubing system. Most modern-day sugar makers have vacuum pumps hooked to their tubing system to help increase yields. So there's a huge 
capital investment to get into the business. Okay, let's let's break down some of that stuff that you just talked about. So I know <laughs> when I, you know, I'm in second grade and they do the maple syrup demo. It, it, you know, they put a bucket on a maple tree and we kind of cook some maple syrup on a stove. Obviously, you're doing it uh, on a much larger volume. So the let's talk about the taps. Um, how the how is like the tapping uh, technology changed over the last few years and kind of what's the standard industry wide? Well, of course. Years ago, you just went out and hung a bucket on the tree, and then you had enough labor to go out and dump all those buckets every day. And with our 8,000 taps on our farm, we don't have enough labor force to empty 8,000 buckets every day, so we're relying on a network of plastic pipes in the woods to bring the sap from the tap in each tree down to a holding tank at the bottom of the woods. and. And we have to truck the sap to our sugar house for processing in the syrup. And it, tap, sap typically comes out of the tree looking like water, about 2% sugar. And it takes about 45 to 50 gallons of that sap boiled down into syrup, which is 67% sugar, to make a gallon of your syrup. Wow, so you're collecting way more sap than you're ending up with kind of a final product of the maple syrup. Oh, yeah. And so the you mentioned a vacuum system. So, it, I mean, essentially the, the tubing is doing has a little bit of a suction action to pull more sap out of the tree? Yeah, it helps increase our yields a little bit. Um, typically you get freezing and thawing weather in the spring that will push this sap in the tree, inside the tree, out of any holes, but if we don't get a freezing thaw cycle every day and it stays above freezing for a couple of days, we'll still be able to keep harvesting a little bit of sap. So it helps increase our yield per tap that we got out in the woods. And it doesn't hurt the tree to doesn't have... Hurt, no, it does not hurt the tree a bit. Uh, we're only putting one little tap hole in the tree and taken maybe 10% of the tree's sap, and once we take that 10% out, the tree just brings more sugar that is stored in its roots up to replenish its okay. sap levels to, for the development of the leaves come later spring. Okay, so you have your, your bins full of sap, kind of this big bin of what looks like essentially water. You load that onto a truck where I'm assuming you maybe have another tank as you go around from kind of site to site to collect. Right. You get back to the sugar house, and and then you you're you're putting the the syrup. It gets evaporated in in your cooker, but then you said there's also an osmosis process. Right. We we empty the our transport truck into a holding tank at the sugar house, and then it is pumped through a reverse osmosis machine that the sugar molecules in the sap are larger than water molecules, so the water molecules will pass through this membrane where the sugar molecules won't. So we can take out 75% of the water before we start the boiling evaporation process. And so that, that means you're essentially just, you, you don't have to cook it as long. We don't have to cook it as long, so we're saving some fuel, saving some labor. The reverse osmosis machine can sit there works with high-pressure electric pumps, and it can be working all day while we're working out in the woods hauling sap or checking for leaks in our tubing system and so on. 
Awesome. And then how long does the syrup have to cook for before it's kind of gone from the 45 to 65 gallons into the kind of one gallon that we usually see on the breakfast table? It takes about an hour or two boiling process. The evaporator is set up with um, a series of channels in the pan, so fresh sap is flowing in one end, and it keeps evaporating off until we get the finished syrup off the other end of the stainless pans. So obviously there, you, you guys are working within a pretty tight time frame as far as harvesting the syrup. You know, you're looking for, like you said, those freezing nights and, and the warm days, and the sap is really only flowing for a couple of weeks throughout the year. Um, yeah, usually about four and sometimes six weeks. I think this year we got, ended up with about five weeks sap flow time. So when the sap is flowing, it's it's go time, all hands on deck, right? That's right, and and, and more sometimes. This this year, our longest day, we finished making syrup at say around eleven o'clock at night, and just thought we'd go. And it was a warm night, so we went and checked our tanks again before heading home, and they were almost full again. So then we started hauling sap again <laughs> for a few hours before we caught a couple hours sleep and started in the next day. Well, and that's the thing about sap, because, you know, basically it's getting collected into these barrels, but they're not held at any kind of temperature, and the sap, because it has a sugar, can't just sit around in warm weather, right? No, it will start to ferment if it sits around too long in the warm weather, and that's basically what ended our season this year. We got a 75-degree day that the sap just wouldn't keep, and even though we were still getting some sap out of the trees, that and the buds are starting to come out on the trees, so the flavor was getting poor anyways. But. So do you notice from day to day a lot of variation in the flavor? Um, it's a gradual change from the beginning of the season. Usually in the beginning of the season, you make the lighter, milder flavored syrups. And at the beginning of the season, the sap coming out of the tree is a little bit higher than at the end of the season, so it doesn't take as much processing. You mean higher in sugar content? Yeah, higher sugar content. So at the end of the season, the sugar content will drop down to about 1%. So it takes a whole lot more sap to make that one gallon of syrup and more processing. And it just darkens the syrup, makes for a stronger flavor. And so there's the light, medium, dark amber and extra dark syrup as table syrups. And then at the very end of the season, it'll sometimes get a little bit of strong, bitter-flavored syrup that will go into commercial use. Um, like for consumption, though, the commercial use? Um, yeah, they'll use it for flavorings and other food products. Okay, so like the um, Jimmy Dean's like maple-flavored... What was that? Is it like Jimmy Dean's maple-flavored sausage? Or? Yeah, sausages, okay. even uh, artificial-flavored maple syrups that have maybe 1% pure maple syrup in, they'll use some of that darker, stronger syrup. Let, let's talk a little bit about the grading. You know, there. so you see a lot around, you know, grade, grade B or grade A, and then you were talking about kind of light amber, medium amber. <clears throat> Do, is it like, you know, my report card where if I get a B, like my parents are going to only give me $10 instead of 20 <laughs> or what? How does the system kind of work? And it, is it a hierarchy like that where one's better than the other? Or Actually... One isn't any better than the other. It's just a matter of individual preference and taste. Uh, it, it used to be that most people 
were preferring the grade A light, medium, or dark amber, but there's definitely a growing demand for the what had been called the grade B, but also called extra dark in New York because it does have a good flavor and it's just darker and stronger flavored. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break and when we get back, I want to talk just a touch more about that before we move on to some more exploration of maple syrup with David Campbell of Maple Land Farms. service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to the main course Sundays at 12 p.m. with hosts Patrick Martins and Katie Kiefer. They examine issues from the interconnected worlds of agriculture, cuisine, and sustainability. They sit down with key players in the chain from producer to consumer, farmers, distributors, chefs, activists, and journalists. The main course explores every important component of the eating experience, how the farmers raise their product, the distribution channels that move the product, how the chefs prepare it, and how ethics and policy affect everyone involved. Again, that's the main course, Sundays at noon, on the Heritage Radio Network. Okay, we are back. You're tuned in to the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. We are speaking with David Campbell of Maple Land Farms. So, David, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the syrup grading system. And you mentioned that in New York State, the name is a little different. And I think that belies the fact that you wear more than one hat. I mean, you have your farm, but you're also part of the New York, it was the New York State Maple Growers Association? Maple Producers Association, yeah. So, tell us a little bit about that organization and what kind of work it does here in New York State. Um, we represent about 500 members, producers in New York State, and work to help promote the maple syrup use among consumers and all aspects related to it. Okay, so do you also offer like technical support, or if someone was interested in kind of starting out a maple um, operation, would they go to you or? Uh, the best place to go would be the Cornell Maple Program. They have a staff of several people there that work directly with producers on issues on how to produce syrup. So would you say you mentioned you know, earlier in the show that, that New York State is currently only tapping, what did you say, 1% of 1%, its? 1%, yeah. So, I mean... W- what it, I think like it sounds like there's like this real opportunity for for maple production to kind of be this tool to preserve woodland or to preserve you know uh, kind of open space in New York State. Are most of the trees on? I mean, where are? Do, do you have a sense of like where are most of the trees? Are they on land that's owned by people who just don't know about it as a potential revenue source or? 
people who, or is it state land or or kind of is there little of everything yeah. there's a lot of state land and our association's been working in discussions with state legislators and DEC about the possibility of leasing some of those trees on state land and they DEC doesn't want to oversee that so that's not really an option at this point there's a lot of landowners that well, they may not think that they can. They're, they're managing their woodlot for timber harvest, and they don't want anybody drilling holes and harvesting the sap from the trees every year. But then there's other landowners that don't realize that, well, they could be getting a yearly income from that woodlot, not just once every 10 years or 15 years when they harvest some trees. So. It's a little bit of everything that we need to keep reaching out and letting them know the advantages of tapping trees. And are there any kind of more institutional barriers, like po- policy-wide or, or kind of laws or, or, or regulations that make it difficult for people to... I mean, your your operation, I'm assuming, is it undergoes inspection from the, I don't know, the USDA, or I mean, as a food service, like, you know, because you're, you're kind of producing a ready-to-eat product, like, how does that end of the spectrum work? Um, we come under egg and markets. Under egg and markets. Yeah, and actually, for syrup producers that are making just the pure maple product from their own land, there aren't any strict regulations, because of the sugar content of the finished product and the temperature at which it's packaged at has to be bottled at over 180 degrees. So very little risk involved to the public on food safety issues. So we're not under any strict regulations. If you Once producers get into making some other value-added products like maple, barbecue sauces, or mustards, or salad dressings, then they come under Ag and Market's 20C licensing requirements. Okay. And that's what you, you guys do do more than just maple syrup. What right, are some of yeah, your other products? Right, yeah, we have a 20C kitchen here where we package all our products. What what are some of those? Um, we do the a lot of the maple sugar candies, the granulated maple sugar maple cream spreads, we do a spicy maple rub, maple peanut brittle, maple fudge. I'm getting hungry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if we you... do, yeah, do carry a maple barbecue sauce and a maple mustard that we do not make ourselves, but buy from another maple producer. And if people want to, um, you know, pick up some maple syrup for you guys, where can they find you? You can find on our website, open 24 hours a day at maplelandfarms.com. Awesome. Great. And you, you guys ship anywhere in the world, right? Basically. It, it gets expensive to ship overseas, but we ship a lot all over the country. But once in a while, one overseas, depending on the customer's needs. Yeah, I'm sure if you're like, you know, in, I imagine like students abroad from the, from the region longing for a taste of home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happens. Um, so, so one other thing I, I ran across when I was kind of checking out your website before the show, um, you are something of an international man of mystery, I guess the International Maple Syrup Institute. Um, tell us about your involvement with them. Um, I've been 
involved with them as a member of the New York State Association for years. I just got on their board of directors this past fall. So congratulations! I'm one of the board of directors for the International Maple Organization, which one of their big things they've been working on for the last several years is to standardize the maple syrup grades uh, internationally so that each state doesn't have its own set of grades. And when they do that, they're going to do away with the grade B syrup and it's going to be reclassified all into grade A, basically. And, and then just like different variations of right, grade A? Right, different color va- variations and what we're calling extra dark grade B now will be called very dark maple syrup. So You're kind of looking a it strong up. flavor and dark color. That's what I like to drink All right. <laughs> or and, eat and or whatever. Doing, <laughs> doing some cooking or flavoring of any kind, like that adds a lot more flavor to your whatever you're making. Um, let's talk a little bit. I mean, I think we've kind of touched on the, the reasons why for this, but I, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you're, you know, in the in kind of the quote unquote maple syrup section, you know, there's a lot of I don't know, imitation maple syrups. You know, right. Mrs. Butterworths and Aunt Jemima's, and they're obviously a lot um, less expensive than maple syrup. So, what are some of the kind of main reasons for the cost difference there? Well, basically, the labor and fuel involved in making pure maple syrup compared to all those other syrups usually use a corn syrup for their base. So they're not even, I mean, they're what, they're getting maybe some of the commercial grade syrup that you were, right. you know, putting they, a little bit of that, mixing it in with some corn syrup and some imitation maple flavoring. Basically, yes. I mean, I, I, I definitely like, you know, you can't, you can't really compare the two, but I think that there's, that's like one of the things that people kind of often really notice first about maple syrup is the price. And I think, right. you know, mentioning earlier too, you kind of were talking about, you know, the 45 to 65 gallons of sap it takes to make one gallon of syrup. Um, and then obviously just imagining kind of carting those gallons around the countryside and yeah. cooking them down and yeah. the whole process. Mm. Um, and, and there's a lot more involved. We usually start early in the winter checking over our tubing system out in the woods to do any repairs that have happened between the end of the season and the to get it ready for the new season, and then we spend uh, probably about a month or more putting the taps in the trees, and then once we have the taps all in and there's sap flow, then you still have to go back through and check for leaks in the woods so you're not losing your sap on the ground. Sure. So it sounds like, you know, if we're looking at a year in the life of a maple syrup producer, it's January 1st, and you have to get out in the cold and <laughs> make sure that like things are kind of ready to go. And then, you know, as we're moving into kind of the spring and where we're at now, the, the sap is flowing, you're collecting, you're cooking. And then what does the kind of the rest of your year look like? You know, if you're not collecting syrup, kind of how do you, what, what, what makes up the maple business in the, in the other half of the year? Well, in the next few weeks, we've got to go back through and remove all those taps out of the trees so the trees can heal up and get all our tanks washed out for their final washing and so on. So our next month will be spent cleaning up. Besides, then we're, of course, year-round, we're bottling syrup and making our other products, not just in the spring. So, and 
then we do go out and do some fairs and festivals in the summer and fall and sell to supply a lot of apple orchards in the fall. And our, believe it or not, our biggest time of the year for marketing is Christmas sales. So, Sure. So then before you know it, it's time to go back out and start right. trapping yeah. trees again. <laughs> if we get any free time in the fall that we're not busy packing products, why we go out and maybe install some new tubing or work towards getting ready for the season, but last few years, most of that work has happened after the big Christmas rush ended. So, Right. I can imagine it gets pretty hectic, but packing and bottling. And so that, that's the thing, too, is you're not, um, you know, the syrup's not coming off the evaporator going right into the, the you know, eight-ounce jug you're going to buy in the store. How do you kind of store it for the year? Well, we fill... 40-gallon stainless drums with hot syrup so they seal right up, and then we can store them until we get ready to pack it all the rest of the year. Excellent. Cool. So right now our sugar house is full of full drums of syrup, ready for the rest of the year. And do you do any kind of like tours or events out in the area if people are interested in stopping by? Um, we always have an open house at our sugar house the last two weekends of March where we people the process, offer a pancake breakfast, and so on, and then we are open by appointment the rest of the year for anybody that wants to stop by and see what's happening. And so they can find information on those events uh, at your website. Why don't you give us that website one more time? Uh, MapleLandFarms.com. Awesome. David, thanks so much for taking some time out of what I know is kind of the busiest part of your year to chat with us a little bit about maple syrup. And we hope that, you know, things go well with uh, the rest of your season. We thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. In 2010, EscapeMaker.com won an Emmy Award for their agritourism webisode, so this year they thought, why not bring agritourism and green getaway ideas right to you? Come to the Green Getaways Local Food and Travel Expo on April 30th at One Hanson Place, home of the Brooklyn Flea and former Williamsburg Savings Bank. Presented by Amtrak, Zipcar, and I Love New York, the carbon-free event will be a day filled with food, prizes, workshops, and kids' activities. Over 50 getaway destinations, from counties to local farms and bed and breakfast within a day's drive or train ride of New York City, will be exhibiting on the main floor and in the huge bank vault downstairs. See what's hot in sustainable travel and receive special show-only discounts. Grow NYC will be doing workshops on the green market, and Appalachian Mountain Club will offer workshops on adventure bicycling and hiking via mass transit. EscapeMaker.com will be giving away over 50 getaway prizes, ranging from zipline adventure passes to an overnight stay at Mohonk Mountain House. Travel greener, eat local. Come to the expo on April 30th. Get your tickets now at www.escapemaker.com. 
Whole Foods Market celebrates Earth Month with the Do Something Real Film Festival, a collection of six provocative character-driven films focused on food, environmental issues, and everyday people with a greater vision. Come see one of the six features at City Cinema's Village East from Saturday, April 16th through Thursday, April 21st, every night at 6 p.m. Learn more about the films and special events at www.dosomethingreal.com. That's www.dosomethingreal.com. Sponsored by Whole Foods Market. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway honey today.